What's up, listeners? It's Andrea. Today, we question the safety standards of the Enterprise. Some Klingons try to stir shit up. And we ask the question, where did the phrase throw in the brig come from? Stay with us to find out. Welcome to the TNG Podcast, the number one place in the Alpha Quadrant to geek out about all things Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm your co-host, Sharice. Hey, I'm your co-host, Andrea. Sharice, today we're talking about Season 1, Episode 19, entitled Heart of Glory. This episode was written by Herbert Wright and DC Fontana and directed by Rob Bowman. The star date is 41503.7, which is super official sounding, and the original air date was March 21st, 1988. So, shoulder pads, eyeshadow. Mm, glorious fashion so late 80s. of yes. the 80s. Yes. So let's jump right into the plot. The Enterprise enters the neutral zone to investigate the distress call of a Telerian freighter. The freighter is badly damaged and three life forms are detected aboard. An away team beams over and finds three Klingons, Chorus, Conmel, and Kanivas, who are wounded. The away team returns them to the Enterprise before the freighter explodes, but just barely. Kanivas is taken to sick bay and Chorus meets with Captain Picard. The Klingon explains that they were passengers when the freighter was attacked by a Ferengi ship. They managed to destroy the Ferengi ship, but sustained too much damage and thus were found adrift. As Chorus and Conmel are shown to their quarters, they're surprised to hear about a fellow Klingon, Lieutenant Worf, who is serving within Starfleet. And there you have it, folks. That pretty much sums up this episode. Um, so we hope you liked it. <laughs> Join us next week when we talk about <laughs> <laughs> No, so, okay, overall thoughts. So for me, when this episode started, I was like, wow, I don't remember this at all. But that's happened a lot in season one where I've been like, I don't remember this. Because as you guys may <laughs> remember, I try to avoid season one like the plague. And I yep. always start over in season two. So a lot of times I go, man, I don't remember this episode. And then as I start to get into it, I'm like, oh, I totally remember this one. That didn't happen this time. I got all the way to the end of this episode and I was like, I have no recollection. Th- this, this and Too Short a Season were both just like deleted from my memory mm-hmm. files mm-hmm. completely. Um, so my overall thoughts though was I thought this was really good backstory into Worf who so far has been a non-character. Yes. He, he just is, he's been set dressing for this entire season one. Totally. And as some of you may recall, if you're just watching this series with us for the first time, we've mentioned before that the actress who plays Yar does end up leaving the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wondered if maybe this is setting up Worf's backstory so we can know, like, and trust him because he will end up kind of replacing the role that Yar was playing. Like, this is my thinking. Maybe that's what was going on with the writers, why we have a that's whole a, Worf heavy episode, but I'm not that sure. That is a great thought. You know, I had a similar but slightly different take on this. I thought, man, this is giving a little bit of backstory on Worf, and we're starting to develop him as a character. I wonder if Denise Crosby, who plays Lieutenant Yar, was like, where's my backstory? You know, if, if they had given her some backstory and like an episode that kind of dug into who she is, maybe she wouldn't have wanted to leave because we've talked about this a bunch of times, but she ends up leaving because she had said like, I was basically just set dressing. Like I, mm-hmm. I didn't even have like really a role there. You know, I've heard so many, we'll have to dig into this people mm-hmm. when we get to that episode, which is coming up pretty shortly when Yara leaves. Um, because I've heard her say in interviews that she left for different reasons. Like I've heard her say like, this sh- I didn't think the show was going anywhere. I've heard her say, like, I didn't want to be a Star Trek person. I didn't want that to be my legacy. Um, lots of different things. So maybe we'll dig into it and see if we can we can find the truth. I'm always interested when actors leave a show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and you're like, 
was it on good terms? Was it on bad terms? And you just like, you can't really know because it's kind of like taboo to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a fan, I'm always so curious. Like this is the only time when I'm all about like e-Hollywood, like, when I want to yeah. get into like the, the behind the scenes, like yes. gossip. Yes. I'm just so curious. But anyway, so that was my overall thought was like, maybe this was a swap kind of an episode. Um, what were your overall thoughts on this episode? If any, um, I am not a huge fan of Klingons in general. I feel like they're just sort of all a little one note. It's just all about glory and battle and fighting. And and there really isn't a ton of development, I think, in all of TNG. And those mm-hmm. of you who disagree with me, please email us, info at the TNG podcast. And, and let us know, because whenever I see a Klingon episode, I usually give it a pass. I just skip it because it's like, mm, okay, they're all going to talk about glory and battle and, and, and the heart of a warrior. And it's just like become so tropey over time. Um, but I, I didn't love this episode, but I also didn't hate it. I thought I would hate it. And I, and I didn't, because I do like that it explains Worf's background for the first time in the series, including the story of mm-hmm. the Romulan betrayal at Kittimer, mm-hmm. which saw the death of his parents. And um, I did some digging for this episode, of course. And Michael Dorn, who plays Worf, was actually really pleased with this story for Worf. And he was really happy with the way that it came out. So if if the actor who plays Worf is happy with it, then I can be happy with it. Too. <laughs> yeah, I, I had to say that I did not love this episode by any stretch of the imagination. I thought it was really boring and slow. And I just really didn't care. However, that being said... Um, I don't mind the Klingon episodes and I really like getting a backstory on Worf. And I really think that his upbringing as a Klingon amongst humans is, um, very similar to, you know, being raised as say a black child in a white family, which happens often with white families adopting black children. Mm -hmm. Um, it's usually not the other way around. You don't see that too often black families adopting white children, Mm -hmm. but you do see white families adopting specifically black children. I remember having a friend who was like my family, she was, she was white and she was saying, my parents are looking for black children. Like that's exact type of child they want to adopt for some strange reason, which I don't understand, but they specifically wanted to have a Brown child in their family. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that, um, can feel really alienating and really isolating. Um, I, I think it's coming from a really good place, of course. Um, and I'm all about adoption and taking yes. care of our children. Yes. At the same time, I feel like it can feel super isolating for that child, even though it may make the parents feel like, oh, look at me, I'm doing something great. But for the child, it's like, where do I fit? Where do I belong? I don't look like these people. I have yeah. to now be treated really differently from all of my siblings. And I feel like that's what was going on with Worf growing up with humans. And so I kind of liked that that storyline is timeless and he also yeah. has a sibling we find out here he has a brother mm-hmm. we meet the brother in season seven yeah, and in season seven i could have his stepbrother yeah we find we find out he has a, a few we, we find out some things about him moving on but here he mentions his stepbrother and you don't see him till season seven and in season seven i could have sworn they just made up that stepbrother like he did not exist before and in this episode i was like oh snap they mentioned him they like did. i didn't realize they had mentioned i didn't realize they had said that and you know his earth parents and all that stuff so yeah he's like data but a little bit worse off because we talked about how data didn't realize until he met lore yes. that he wasn't the only android in existence so he was kind of grappling with maybe i'm a one off maybe no one's been no one has been created like me mm-hmm. wharf on the other hand has an entire planet that he is from but hasn't been to since he was a little kid can barely remember. Mm-hmm. And, but you see from like the, the, his regalia and how he carries himself and everything else, he is very much kept up 
the traditions of being a Klingon. So somehow yes. his parents were able to, or he was on his own. We don't ever really get that piece, but somehow he was able to really hold on to what it means to be a Klingon, mm-hmm. even though he was really displaced from that entire world completely. Yes. Right. And age. so, yeah. So it's kind of, it's kind of amazing and a testament to his character that he was able to not lose his, his cultural identity when completely enveloped in another culture for his entire formative years. Yeah. So agreed. good on you. Good on you. Yeah. Worf. Good job. Worf. And I think that's why he's so serious as a character, right? Like he was telling Riker in a future episode, he was like, Klingons don't laugh. And he was, Riker was like, Klingons laugh all the time. You don't laugh. <laughs> like Klingons <laughs> laugh, hearty belly laughs. You don't laugh because he, he kind of overcompensates, right? He yeah. has to be like so extra super serious as a Klingon mm-hmm. so that people don't mistake him for a human. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't think of that, but yeah, he, he does miss those formative years, like with his Klingon family, but yet still like carries the tradition and like the meaning of it for him, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's just jump right into this episode. I love that this episode starts right in the middle of the action. You know, it's like suspenseful music and, you know, we're on the bridge and they're getting reports from, you know, mm-hmm. just all around and sensors are t- telling us this and Worf is detecting this and that. It's super cool. I love the, I love those like cold opens that start off a little different. Mm-hmm. It, there's something really for me comforting and soothing about, you see the ship kind of coasting along and it's captain's log starting, whatever. But this was like, dun, 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 like right in it, mm-hmm. which I love. Mm-hmm. So the Enterprise is receiving information about some action in the neutral zone, suspecting the Ferengi, possibly the Romulans. And it's the first time we hear Romulans mm-hmm. in TNG. And I thought we were going to see the Romulans. I was like, oh my gosh, we're going to see them. And then they're like, yeah. no, we're not doing that. <laughs> Okay, well, we can wait. <laughs> Did you notice that Riker suggested doing the saucer separation? But Picard declined. He's like, let's wait until we have more information. And mm. I was like, do it, do it. Like, I want to see saucer separation. Do it. <laughs> but then I was like, ah. Um, Did you notice Counselor Troy is not in this episode at all? Again, I did not notice that. Didn't even notice. I read earlier that she was written out of three episodes. So this one, I think the next week's one, Arsenal of Freedom, and then there was one, was it Data Lore that she was missing? There was one other, I can't Mm -hmm. quite remember that she was missing. The thing that did catch my eye, and it's not that I noticed that she was missing, but I noticed that there was some like fancy camera angles going on. A lot of the bridge shot were shooting to the right side of Jordy at the con. So if you look straight beyond him, like Jordy is blocking Counselor Troy's empty seat. So it doesn't mm. look like there's a glaringly empty. Interesting. One of the three seats is missing. Yeah. So they did a lot of like tricky little camera angles to cover for the fact that they were being dicks and wrote her out of this episode. Yeah. When they could have just been like, she's like on sabbatical or whatever. Or just be in the background and not say a lot. And, and honestly, I thought that this would have been a great episode for Counselor Troy to be on where mm-hmm. she's, she's sensing Worf's struggle with his identity. Like this mm-hmm. would have been great because Worf is an ice cold, like wall. Mm-hmm. You can't get a read on him. Mm-hmm. So she sh- totally should have been there, but whatever. Fast forwarding a little bit, they're in the sick bay and one of the Klingons dies and then the other Klingons kind of scream out, you know, because it's part of their like death rituals to when, when one of the warriors die, they kind of scream out. Um, and the reaction that Picard and Riker have of like, oh my gosh, he was like some kind of animal. Like I was afraid. I wasn't sure. It kind of, it struck a chord in me. Um, again, being African-American, sometimes I see this reaction from Caucasian-Americans toward African-Americans, specifically like large males right? Whenever they're they're already kind of, there's like this fear 
Mm-hmm. Um, like, so I, I think I've spoken about this before, like my little brother who I call my little brother, who's, who's now, uh, he's 25 years old tomorrow and he's six, three and he's built like a linebacker. So he's actually a giant monster. Um, but, <laughs> but I still call him little brother. Right. It. So, so my little brother walks into a room and people start clutching their purses because he's a giant black man. And so he, and he's like the biggest teddy bear, but because people are already afraid, if he does anything that can be misconstrued as threatening, like if he laughs really loud, oh, now he's raising his voice. Now he's super mm-hmm. scary. And mm-hmm. then people lose their crap, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how I felt in the scene where all the Klingons are like yelling. And then Riker and Picard are like, oh, what's going on? Oh, mm-hmm. this is scary. Oh, he was like some kind of animal. I don't know. Can we trust him? Like, is he, is he one of us? Is he going to be with the Klingon or whatever? I kind of felt that like, it kind of struck that, that chord in me of this like really unnecessary fear that's just way over the top based on the situation. Yeah. It's like they're screaming because somebody just died. Like there's no reason to question Worf's integrity or loyalty or safety or like character or any of that. that. Like this is a very, have you ever seen him do this before? Like this is a very isolated moment. And instead of being like, this was scary. Like we need to keep an eye on them. I feel like this was the moment to be like, huh, what's going on here to get curious and ask some questions. And Mm -hmm. I agree with you. Like this would have been, perfect for Troy to be there because she could have interpreted when they were too afraid to ask or whatever. Yeah. She could have interpreted what was actually going on behind the curtains. So yes. I and, agree. And it was it a was, missed opportunity. Yes. And I know that we're being asynchronous right now, but jumping way, way ahead, it was data who had to kind of like look into the right. data banks to right. figure out that they scream or they howl or shriek mm-hmm. or whatever you want to use to describe it in order to let the other warriors know that another warrior is on their way to like right. whatever heaven is or the afterlife yeah. or whatever. Right. So it, it, why couldn't they just ask that question? Maybe they thought it was a sensitive subject. Yeah, maybe, but, maybe, but, but this is, this is where Troy would have been helpful. Another place she would have been helpful is when they reach the Tolarian freighter and it's a drift and, and they're showing, you know, like life signs are failing and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. The ship detects that there are some life signs possibly aboard, but they can't be sure because there's so much interference because radiation is like leaking Mm -hmm. everywhere, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Troy should have been there to be like, I can sense life. Like there are people there. Yep. I sense fear, great fear. And I sense it from multiple life forms. Boom. You're there. Who needs sensors when you have Troy? Like, exactly. I totally agree. So, oh, well. So they do beam aboard and we get to see the way that Jordy sees, which I know is super cool. And I know that you're like really excited. Oh about my it. gosh. So other, cool. The other thing I want to say too, is how freaking amazing is that set of the ship? Like, like oh, amazing. This people is the antithesis of that stupid white screen behind the Ferengi. Yes. And whoever else in the first like two, three episodes, 1000% when it was just like a white screen and they're way too close to the camera. And you're just like, why couldn't you just build like a nice little set? This was the opposite of that. This was freaking amazing. And again, this is like a one-off set, right? They never have to use this set again, but it looked so cool and the steam and the steel and like, you can see it's been through some stuff and it was Mm -hmm. amazing. Pipes and things like hanging down. They actually do use the set a bunch more times, like throughout TNG and Deep Space Nine, as it turns out. But yeah, they built this like elaborate set because it had to be big enough for them to walk around Mm -hmm. multiple paces and then kind of turn left and turn right. So this Mm -hmm. was like a big old set. It was, and then the steam curtain, like it was amazing. Kudos to props and set design because they fucking killed it with this. Like, this is one of the best. If you want to see, a ship on the verge of absolute and total destruction. Look at this episode. It's amazing. All right. So we can see how Jordy sees. Which is so neat because 
we've been hearing all this time about how Jordy can see these special things and he can see inside of electronics and he can see infrared and all these different things. I did not, rem- like I said, I don't remember this episode ever existing. So I didn't know that we saw through his eyes and um, it was just so cool to see like the different colors and um, it was a little bit, a little bit nauseating to see through his eyes. So yes, like, a little bit. Yeah. So probably better that we don't see too often through his eyes, but still it was neat. And I like how um, Picard was so fascinated by it and like, the clock is ticking and we're all going to die, you know? And Riker's just like, uh, Captain. We don't have time for this. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's all like, look to the right. Uh-huh. Oh, that's amazing. Look to the left. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, look back at Riker. Okay, okay now look at Data. Wow. Yes. And I love, I love that he goes, what's that? What's that? <laughs> Captain, remember, we're here to look for survivors. Yeah. Captain, don't mean to rush us along. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> Oh, right, right. Yes, of course. <laughs> I, I loved it. I loved it so much. Like the, the way that you can see the way he sees, I thought was super cool. The other thing though, that I thought of was in 1988, this seemed super futuristic to like see through the eyes of somebody who's like out on a way team or whatever. Right, right, right. But these days you could just point your phone and walk along and people can see what you see on, on like FaceTime. In real time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In real time, like on FaceTime, on Zoom, on uh, Snapchat, whatever, right? On anything, yeah. Yeah, on anything. So I thought, if we're in the 21st century and we have this technology, it seems so strange that, like, the combat just don't automatically have, like, a little camera so you can yeah. see, like, what your away team sees. But in the 80s... <laughs> but you can only see it at chest height, so that could get <laughs> awkward. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe true. When you talk really close to Counselor Troy. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like she's... everybody would talk really close to Counselor Troy. <laughs> However, she's not in this episode, so we don't have to worry about that. <laughs> 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 so whatever. But they find... So Data does his super strength. Yeah. And like rips this heavy metal door open, which is super yeah. cool. Yeah. And they find Klingons, which was totally unexpected. They find right. Klingons on this in there. Talarian freighter, freighter or whatever. Yes. Mm-hmm. So they find three Klingons, and Jordy is saying the ship is about to break apart. We're having like a structural breach. It, mm-hmm. Shit's about to hit the fan. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they didn't just transport them straight out of that room, but they had to like travel a ways. Maybe there was yeah, radiation so this, or something. So this is another piece of technology that they bring up from time to time. When things are all crazy and the ship's about to crash and there's like electrical storms or whatever, they can never get a lock on the away team. So they need pattern enhancers. And sometimes these are physical separate units that kind of like tripods. They set them up in a big triangle in between the triangle. It enhances their pattern so that they don't get lost in the buffer, which is like the same as being killed. Um, So they try to like keep people from not dying. So in the case of a ship that's all breaking apart, the closest pattern enhancers are their transport rooms. So they try to get them to like a room that has like transport, transporter pads on the ground because those are like enhancing their pattern. Or if not, they try to get them in a place that's not surrounded by other things that are sparking and exploding and everything else that could also interfere with them trying to get a lock. So if you notice, they went to like a slightly less um, messy location, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, just like a place that has like a little bit more space. But I, that's a little piece that I've noticed that they do as um which is, I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of fun. Cause it adds to like, will they get there on time? It adds to the drama. That is um, but true. a lot of times they do make them try to move to a location where they can better get a lock. And then they have the whole, like they're getting transported out. Oh, they're still there. And you're like, no, come on, come on. Yes. That was, that was really, really cool because Tasha tried to beam them out and their pattern sort of went, woo, 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 you know, on the transporter pad on the enterprise. Mm-hmm. And then they reappeared back on the freighter and you can see the crew kind of looking around like how did we end up back here and tasha goes i need you to move to a different location and the ship is literally blowing up 
And Picard's like, there's no time, go! And so I love when we see this, and it is used a little more than maybe I would like, but a ship explodes, and uh -huh. then the next shot is looking at the transporter pad with no one on there, and then, like, five seconds later, they appear. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, so what's our cutoff, really? It's like, <laughs> the ship explodes, you look at the transporter pad, and, like, 15 minutes later, they appear. <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be, there's got to be. Well, wait, wait, wait a minute. We have an episode. <laughs> we have an episode where there is a Starfleet officer who has been in the transporter buffers for like 70 years. Yeah, but he was, he, he did that to himself. Like he put himself in it going, I can hold my pattern. Yeah. Well, I guess that's true. So 70 years. Well, I'm is just the, saying, right. Cutoff. So we're saying like, yeah, so <laughs> 70 years is the cutoff at that point. Maybe 71 you're no longer. Is. Yeah. 71. We'll make it, we'll give him an extra year. At 71 years, you're no longer, your pattern's not in there anymore. So yeah. sorry about that. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. So anyway, they, they managed to get them off in the nick of time. They take the sick Klingon to sick bay mm -hmm. and, and they have a couple of questions. What were you guys doing there? That was not a Klingon ship. Where's the crew? Not a ship. Why were you adrift? Yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of like good questions. Um, now, when Picard goes to sick bay to ask them questions, he brings Worf with him. And when they see Worf, they're like, what's this? A Klingon in Starfleet? Like, what is this? So there's immediately this bonding between the two Klingons and, and, and Worf. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so one of the Klingons ends up not making it. And that's when they let out that roar to mm -hmm. like warn the dead that a Klingon war is about to arrive. Mm -hmm. And we already talked about that. So I'm going to just breeze right past it. Mm -hmm. so, so now this Klingon's dead and they do have an interesting sort of ritual where they're like, Beverly says, what would you like? need to do with the body mm -hmm. and they say it's just an empty shell so dispose of it as you wish mm -hmm. and that actually for me um that's very much how I feel about death it's like you're already dead it's an empty but like my husband and I had to do the whole like uh, um the living trust and your final wishes kinds of thing you know like mm -hmm. legally mm -hmm. um and I was like I don't really care what you do with my body once I'm dead like yeah you know it doesn't matter because at that point I'm gone so whatever. Yeah. So I, I thought, I thought that was interesting. I like that too. And then they said it again in the episode. And I, I really, mm -hmm. I appreciated that because it actually is very in line with how much the, with the Klingon way of like having a glorious death, right? If you're going to die, die in battle, die fighting, which I'm all about. Like, yeah. like not that I want to die, not that I want to die in a big fight or anything. However, whenever I see those movies, when people are like cowering in a corner and like the bad guys coming after them and they're like, no, please, no. Yeah. And they die. I'm always like, son of a gun. Like if they're going to kill you anyways, go out swinging. So yeah. I really appreciate that. The Klingons are like, if I'm going to die, I'm not going to die cuddled up in a corner sucking my thumb. Like I'm going to die swinging. And then once you're dead though, like it's finished, like it's totally over your body. It's just an empty shell. So the Klingons are just like, whatever, it's an empty shell. Like shoot it out in space if you want to. We don't care. Yeah. Um, and so here's something funny. You mentioned this before, Andrea, and it just came up again. They're standing over this man who's like dying mm -hmm. and they're just like, so uh, what were you guys doing on the ship? And they're yes. just like chit chatting. And I was like, you know what? Andrea's right. There's clearly no HIPAA in the 24th century. Yes. Like, nobody's like, um, privacy like hello well you're, yes however i do think when you sign up for the military you basically sign your rights away yeah that's fair and that's, that's basically fair. starfleet is the military so you sign your rights away and you don't have any rights anymore <laughs> so that's, that actually that's, totally makes sense it, it tracks right it tracks yeah but okay so we're now this guy's dead. They've all done the scream. Oh, and they snag something off his shoe. Yes, they take something off his shoe. And that one, like, background Klingon, 
annoys yeah. the crap out of me. He's always got like a smirk on his face mm-hmm. and, and like his acting is terrible. <laughs> I really don't like, I don't like anything to do with this. What guy. bothers me about these Klingons is the fact that they are white men in blackface. And that just bothers the yes. crap out of me. They do this for almost all the Klingons. Michael Doran is actually a, an African-American man in this costume that's like brown. Yes. Um, but like the Ferengi, we're all, we're all white people. The, the Klingons are almost always, almost always, um, played by white men, which you wouldn't know, except for the fact that their eyes are like blue, <laughs> that their eyes are like blue or like green or whatever. Yeah. And you're like, oh, maybe you should find somebody with brown eyes. So then yeah. it'd be like less, it would break the fictive bubble a little bit less. It would make, it would make it a little more believable. So that yeah. always bothers me. But then I have to just be like, you know what? It's TV. Apparently in the eighties, white men were the only actors available. <laughs> We talked about this on previous shows. They were the only people available to act. So that's, that's just what we had to work with. Yeah. Um, and, and I will say I didn't, yeah, the background Klingons, like just, he just wasn't a great actor. I don't know. No, I mean, I just, I felt like, I felt like he, he was really annoying me. Um, because the, the main Klingon. Right. Who's doing all the talking. He has these like teeny little pauses in his speech. Yeah. And right when he does the backup Klingon, the backup dancer, we'll say his one line. So it's like, you know, in his mind, he's just waiting to be like, this is my line. Okay. Now I'm going to talk her off. Okay. This one is my line too. And, and like the pauses are just so choreographed that it feels really unnatural. It feels yeah. very unnatural. I mean, acting must be hard. So it I'll is, give it to you guys. And sure. It's seeing these people who do it so amazingly well, who are so fluid yeah. is what makes the contrast so apparent. Yes. Yes. When you see Patrick Stewart, acting it just feels like captain picard and then you see this other guy and you're like mm, nope that's you're like is that thing. dave is that you <laughs> <laughs> hey dave stop by everybody yeah that's totally what it feels like so all right but we digress so uh, we don't have much to talk about in this episode anyways <laughs> that's gonna be the meat of it anyways <laughs> that's true there's really not a lot of meat on this bone so but Worf forces course to reveal the truth because he's like mm-hmm. you guys something is fishy here. Mm. This is where we needed that asshole right. from last week. Oh. <laughs> no, no, no. This is where we needed oh, that Rimmick. Rimmick to be like, tell me the truth or you're going to jail or something, right? We needed him <laughs> to be poking and prodding. But whatever. So we don't have him because thank God he's gone. Yeah. But Worf forces him to reveal the truth. So the three, those three Klingons have commandeered a freighter in order to seek out a place where they can live as quote unquote true Klingons, mm-hmm. meaning lighting up the galaxy with battles i guess i don't know like i think warriors. they were looking for a planet to where they could just like live off the land um well see i don't know if they wanted to go to war with any other species or like aliens it sounded more like they just wanted to kind of like almost like the people who want to go and live in the live in the forest or whatever yeah, like go and live in the, the mountains yeah. yeah like that's what they want to do they just want to live off the grid and just live the way they want to live they didn't want to be forced to be in peace treaties and forced to basically be wharf they did yeah. not want to be war. They didn't, they didn't want, want to have to be peaceful and have to be diplomatic and have to, they just wanted to like hunt and eat what they kill and die in, not in peace, but die kind of in battle. And they felt See, like I took they it, couldn't I die took in battle. It differently. I took it as them wanting to break the alliance with the Federation and just blasters at the ready, just mm. go, to, go to battle. That's no, the they were looking it. for an uninhabited planet in the neutral zone. They were getting, they were trying to get out of the Federation mm. and out of the reach of the Klingons because they didn't want to be a part of this new Klingon Federation Alliance system. Mm. They wanted okay. to go back to their old ways so they couldn't stay. So they were trying to actually like leave the Federation territory altogether. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I could, I could, 
Yeah, which was that. like a losing battle. Like they, that was yeah, that was, it was not, not going to work was, for them. It was it was last week. Jake taking the shuttlecraft and trying to like go mm-hmm. join the circus, and you're mm-hmm. like, no, nah, it's it's not. It, that's yes. why that's why it's a child's dream because it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Anyway, so he they they totally just admitted to destroying. They had a battle with a Klingon ship who had come to take them because they're fugitives, mm-hmm. and they destroyed the Klingon ship. So they just admitted to like killing. Who knows hundreds of their own yeah on this mm-hmm. klingon ship and then they immediately ask war for a tour of the ship and he's like sure let's do it come on yeah it's like wait er, i'm sorry i also thought that was a bit weird now i had no i did not think they were going to do anything like well actually no they did seem a little shady and it did seem like they were going to do something like try to take over the enterprise and i felt like Worf should have maybe been a little more keen on that um that being said though i did feel like there should have been there was like a scene missing where they were like where he was like, you killed them? And he was like, well, yeah, you know, it was battle. We were fighting for our lives. They lost. They died. Our ship, we almost died too. And we would have died if you hadn't come along. So that's what happened. It's kind of like, all right, you guys had a battle. That's what happened. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, let's go on a tour. Okay. I was like, wait a minute. We needed something in the middle, some yes. little bridge to be like, all right, but you guys are going to do that here, right? Or like, what's your next step? Some, or exactly. I don't know. Exactly. Some kind of, there was like no end to that conversation it just kind of abruptly switched to yeah let's go on a tour let me show yes. you the most heightened security places of our ship like, yes i agree with you 1000 percent. there had to be if i just admitted to being in a battle and killing a bunch of people and then being like so you can you guys give me a tour of like the kitchens and stuff that would be so out of the ordinary yeah. like expected behavior it just doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. so they asked for a tour of the ship which I thought was actually, there were there was one or two moments here that for me stood out. Here's a moment that didn't stand out, but worth noting. Those chairs were back in the engineering table. <laughs> I was like, they do use those chairs. They do Plus, use we're gonna, them. We're going to find out those chairs are there till like season five. <laughs> I bet. Yeah, because in 11001001, I was like, why are there chairs there? They never have chairs. And there are chairs and women in scants sitting in the chair. So I was like, mm-hmm. oh, this is like double jeopardy right here. We've got chairs and scans for 500, please. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, it's all there. But here's, so that's a throwaway. But two Klingons enter main engineering and they ma- they marvel at the battles that they could have at the helm of the Enterprise, mm-hmm. which is, that's what makes me feel like they're out just going to be like warring Klingons because they're like, think of all the battles we could have here. And Worf posits that their ideologies may not fit the modern time, mm-hmm. that that thirst for battle is sort of a relic of the past. And this to me was so telling. They respond with, you'd never know it standing here. And I went, oh my God, this is Republicans. They're Republicans. Like they just like, what they, do you mean? Hank- they hanker for like a simpler time where things made more sense to them. And, and others are like, you know, the like racist and like oppressive ideology that raised you up as, mm-hmm. as like Caucasians doesn't fit the modern time. Cause now we're much more aware of like that oppression and how people are fighting back. And you could tell that to like died in the wool Republicans. And they're like, well, you'd never know by standing on my plantation that like anybody had a hard time. You know, it's like, but, but what about me? It was a lot of what about meism. It was like, well, my ideologies may not fit the time, but it's still what I want. I want to return to like the let's make America great again bullshit. That's like, mm-hmm. no, no, no. It, things were great for you and terrible uh, I see what you're saying. for okay. millions of other people and like cultures mm-hmm. and races, but things were good. Yeah. For you. So that's how I felt like to me, I was like, Oh my God, this is like the GOP right here. Interesting. <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure if I would say that's all Republicans, but I could definitely think of a current administration <laughs> and 
that individual's followers that that totally makes sense when you're like laying it out that way of like this i want to return back to the good old days mm-hmm. but when the good old days were only good for a select few and yeah. not not everybody yeah. else and so maybe those days weren't so good yeah yeah that's a good point and i feel like in this instance when we're talking about the klingons and their dreams is they that that does make sense they are w- wanting a time when it's just like battle after battle and they don't like this time of peace with the federation because the the federation and the klingons had this like 100 year war that mm-hmm. was resolved in the original series and now like there's there's peace and um so it was either the original series or the, the movies after the original series but it was resolved and so um they're longing for the time when it was constant war and constant battle mm-hmm. but like how many people were dying yeah like so many people were dying it wasn't just glorious and it kind of also reminds me of like war movies you know how some war movies really glamorize um like yeah. war and death yes. and killing and stuff and and i'm all about don't get me wrong i'm all about like some uh captain america type stuff where it's just like totally fake and you know people are it's totally fake and so that it's really entertaining but when you see a movie like glory mm-hmm. and it's not fake and entertaining or like saving private ryan yeah. it's not fake and entertaining it's but it's like horrible. gritty and real yeah it's just horrible and you're like who would ever glamorize this who would ever want this yeah. who would I ever feel- want to entertain like this is not entertainment this is heart-wrenching horror yeah i think the people who glamorize war and battle have, clearly have never been never in war been- or battle yeah yes there's like nothing about that that's beautiful or heroic it's just awful it's like awful yeah so a klingon ship arrives and and demands the return of the two surviving renegade klingons Mm -hmm. and i had a moment where i was watching the scene and the klingon aboard his ship he did have like the klingon writing behind it which is really cool did you notice how much effing smoke there was though i was like is this a vegas casino in the (laughs) 1950s it was just smoke everywhere like the dude was seated in the smoking section i wasn't sure what that was about if that was trying to be mysterious and cool or something because it looked really cool on the ship that was like derelict like, cause you know, it was about to explode. Yeah. Um, on the Klingon ship, maybe it was supposed to be like an atmosphere of mystery. I don't know. But the ship was cool though. Could you imagine though, if the Enterprise had that much smoke on its, and it's, <laughs> it'd be like, do the air purification systems not work here? Is, where's the smoke detector? Like none of this works. Why and is there remember, so much smoke? We don't have any uh, sprinklers on the Enterprise. <laughs> so if you're so that sm- would be a problem. smoking, you're just, the ship is done. Yes. <laughs> yep. Maybe Dr. Leah Brahms should have put some smoke detectors and some sprinklers <laughs> up in here. Come on, Dr. Brahms. Anyway, so they find out, right? The bridge finds out that like these two Klingons are renegades. And so Picard sends Yara to security team to go get the two Klingons. And then there's that moment where like it looks like it might be a hostage situation with a little girl. Yes. Um, but then- and you see Yara's face is just like, oh, crap. Yeah. It's going down yeah. and her whole entire, uh, what they sent like a, a battalion of like seven people or something for these two Klingons. <laughs> yeah. And they're all like, I mean, usually they just send like Wesley, but here they've got, <laughs> they've got a whole army for these two Klingons. He's not in this episode. <laughs> He's not in it. He's sure we're on Ryza just chilling. <laughs> oh my gosh, Ryza. A Ryzen pina colada or whatever. Or whatever uh, the Wesley's heck they drink. Wesley's virgin, of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah. And yes. so- um yeah troy's was sent the hall um so (laughs) 
<laughs> so they so they have this scene where you're like, oh crap, it's gonna be, you know, it might be a hostage situation. And this, you know, little girl's like running into danger and you've got the mom like, oh honey, no, come on. Yeah, back. yeah. It's like, oh, this is so stupid. But what I love about this is after they give the girl back and you know, they go to they go to the brig like peacefully of how Yar's just like, oh man, like I thought I thought that was gonna be a bad situation. And Worf just looks at her, it's just like, why? And he goes, only cowards take hostages. Klingons do not. I was just like, boom, right? Yeah, like, that was a, a, like, we don't do hostages. That That's was something a, that a coward would do. That was a cultural tidbit that was dropped that was actually really, that, because it was really useful. Like because like everybody takes hostages. Yes, yes. Like everybody takes, well, every culture takes hostages. But I love that it gave that like, we are warring people. Right. We have rules. Ethics. Yes, mm-hmm. we have ethics about our work. I love that you mentioned the brig. So they send them to the brig. Did you notice the brig was different? It was just like a room. Yeah, like a little force field. It wasn't uh-huh. that normal, like the normal, like super yeah. cool brig, right? Where it's got like three rooms there. with force yeah. fields. <laughs> it's like a, it's like a cargo bay with like separate cells. It was really cool. And then I did a little digging because you know that's what I do. Mm-hmm. I was like, why is a brig called a brig? So I've always known that it's like a military prison, like on a ship. Yeah, right. So pirates are always like throw them in the brig. Yeah. So here's a little deep dive that I took on the brig. A brig is a United States military prison aboard like a navy or coast guard vessel. Mm-hmm. Um, or they, or like at an American, like Naval or like Marine Corps base. I don't think the army uses brig they made, but it, I didn't find it in my deep dive. Mm-hmm. So, but the term itself derives from the word brigantine, which is a twin masted Navy ship. And mm-hmm. those Navy ships, the brigantines were used as prison vessels to transport prisoners. Oh. And so they shortened it and called it their, they were called brigs. Like it was just a whole ship, the whole ship was like a series of jail cells to transport prisoners. Oh, wow. And so now it's called the brig. So I love that the Enterprise, because it's a military vessel, has the military like, right. Term. Well, yeah, and I love that. I had no idea. And the the Starfleet vessels are all starships. Mm-hmm. Like yes. all their stuff is Navy yes. terminology. None yes. of it's like any of, it's not like Air Force, even though it's technically kind of sort of in the air. Like it's not that. <laughs> it's all Navy terminology. Yes. Yeah, so I thought that was really cool. I was like, why are brigs called brigs? It's like from the ship, the brigantine ships, which is super cool. So deep dive of the day. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to make that like a sound bite. <laughs> so so we're so where they're sitting in the brig and they start all of a sudden pulling off all of these things from their outfits and snapping them all together. And this was like, I feel like these Klingons were a total mix between 007 and MacGyver. Yes. And I was like, this is the coolest effing thing I've ever seen. They're building something. At this point, we don't know what it is totally, but they're building something from their outfits, right? So it wasn't like, because you know how like 007, it's like his wristwatch or like his glasses, or it'll be something that seems like benign. With the Klingons, they already have like super cool um, uniforms. Like Mm. they just have cool stuff and like shiny things and stuff hanging all over the place. So you don't really think twice about it. And they're just like clip, 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 handing things over and like clipping things into place. I was like, what? That was awesome. This was super cool. And I actually wrote in my notes, the Klingons MacGyver disruptor together. Uh And it made me wonder, do all Klingon uniforms have these pieces that could be like, I have never seen this in any future episode. So effing cool. So cool. I mean, the, the, the disruptor itself looked as a, as a person who looks at props, it looked a little wobbly. Like I felt like you couldn't handle it too much. Cause it like the tube would break off. Which whatever. makes sense. It was made of pieces broken off from a shoe. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> it does make sense. It couldn't be like a Romulan disruptor. That's all sturdy and stuff. Exactly. But it, it did look super cool. So they raced in engineering and 
one of them dies. The backup, the backup dancer dies. Right. <laughs> That's what I've decided to call him. Uh-huh. And the, the, the surviving one runs to be an engineer and he points his phaser at the warp core, threatening to destroy the entire ship. And he wants Picard to give him the star drive section, which it's Honestly, not gonna happen. Did you think that was ever gonna work? It's not gonna happen. You would have had a better. Work? You would have had a better chance being like Jack from our last episode, trying to snatch a shuttlecraft, which is yes. I think what they wanted to do originally. I think yes. the two of them were gonna go and try to steal a shuttlecraft, but then they got pinned down by security and like they had to change the plans. But that would have been a much better move. Still, I mean, they would have just traction, you know, tractor beamed you back or whatever. But yeah. you had a much better chance of escaping in a take, shuttle. You're trying than, to take the yeah. star drive, like that whole. And, you and, as one person are trying to f- control this entire ship with no yes. crew. Like, get out of here, man. Which, which also, you know, that also leads me to believe that they were looking for battles because Worf had said when the Enterprise is removed of its bulk it becomes a formidable weapon. And I was like, ah, okay. And and honestly, if he had somehow managed to get a hold of the battle bridge and do the saucer separation, mm-hmm. Picard and company wouldn't have been able to do anything because the saucer sep- section isn't- Has no- It's injury. not really equipped. Yeah, it's not really equipped to, to take on the Star Drive, sure. Anyway, but Worf comes up to the um, the second floor of main engineering where, where the Klingon is pointing the disruptor at the warp core. Um, and they kind of have this talk about like glory and what that means and all that stuff. And it's kind of throwaway for me. But the thing to note, there was this really cool overhead shot. I don't know if you noticed of like the Klingons and, uh, or the Klingon and Worf and the Warp Corps is kind of going like downwards. Mm-hmm. So the director, um, Rob Bowman, um, came up with this overhead shot and it had never been seen before. And I don't think it's ever seen again, like that particular angle. But I was like, oh, that's really neat. Like it's visually pretty 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 stunning so yeah the warp core in general is just beautiful mm-hmm. right it's just that i know it's i get like it's just a, one yeah i get like i guess it's just like a tube of lights or whatever i don't know but i would love to see that in person <laughs> like it right? just looks so pretty i would and love I loved, to see that i love the hum of it that like mm-hmm. thrumming it's like so soothing mm-hmm. um it is my favorite of the warp cores that's possibly the dorkiest thing i've ever said in my life <laughs> the TNG warp core is my favorite. The Voyager has like a swirly one. It looks pretty cool, but I love the like thrumming lights and how they come mm-hmm. together. That was super mm-hmm. cool. Anyway, so they have this, they have this, uh, this hostage or they have this kind of crisis. Yeah. And this is really like a death by suicide moment. Cause yes. this Klingon knows he's not, he knows he's not getting away. He knows no one's giving him the ship. He's not yeah. going to blow it up. He will blow it up if he has to, but he's hoping like when Worf comes up, it's such a relief. I think mm-hmm. this is reading a lot of subtext, but I think it's such a relief because he's like kind of daring Worf to kill him because he yeah. wants to die in glory and in battle. He does not want to be a prisoner. Like they don't want to go back to be prisoners. And Worf had that conversation with the captain of the Klingon ship saying like, Hey, like they just want to, they just want to live in peace, like or mm-hmm. not in peace. They want to live in war. Right. But they just want to kind of go off and do their own thing. If you put them into captivity, that's worse than death. Yeah. And he was like, I don't want to put them into captivity. I know it's worse than death, but that's what they have to do. This is the consequence of their actions and that sucks for them. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I feel like this other Klingon's kind of like wanting Worf to kill him so he could die in battle and die in glory, or he's going to blow up the warp core and still die in glory. He yeah. is not going to be a prisoner locked up in some Klingon brig forever and ever. Like that's, that's definitely not happening. Yeah, that is not the Klingon way. So Worf ends up shooting him and killing him and he falls through the the glass and mm-hmm. then he dies and Worf does the scream again but now at least they know what it is so nobody has like horribly alarmed. yeah so no one's no one's running and looking at the database to find out what's going on yeah. 
Um, yeah. And at this moment when he crashed through the floor, I just put like, huh, I think that was the first time or only time that I recall somebody crashing through the floor. Like that floor is always glass, mm-hmm. but that's the only time that I've seen someone crash through that glass in the, in my recollection of Star Trek universe. Mm-hmm. And I thought that floor is not quite sturdy enough. Cause I no. feel like if somebody trips he literally and then just face fell. plants yes. that they could just crash and find themselves at the bottom of the work also, floor. Also, why is that not safety glass? It should have shattered into a million little pebbles that are like more safe. No, no, no. I feel like None it shouldn't have shattered sense. at all. I feel like he should have just fallen over and it should have been sturdy enough to walk on it like, been, and not fall through. Plexiglass or something. They, yeah. I mean, visually I get it. Like there's this big crashing moment and it's visually yeah. really cool, but, but I don't know no, if he no, needed no, to no. crash through the ceiling no, in order need to do any of that. I don't know. Yeah. He could have just been shot and died and Worf could have just been up there and done the death cry from up there. I don't, I don't feel like he needed to crash to the ground. I was just kind of like, he didn't need that at all. He didn't need it at all. But anyway, so Worf then goes and and explains to the captain of the, of the Klingon ship, like he died well Mm -hmm. and the Klingon offers him a post and Worf says, I'm honored. Thank you. And then this view screen turns off and he kind of walks back to his post and has that moment where he's like, I was just being polite, guys. Like, I right, because Riker and Picard are staring at him. Yeah. Right, as he's walking, they're watching his every move. Like, so wait, are you gonna you gonna take that or sound like you were gonna sound like you were gonna take that? Are you, are you leaving? Yeah, <laughs> I was just being polite. Oh, oh okay, yeah. Okay. Oh, we, we we knew that. We knew that. Engage. Yeah, that was basically it. So backing up a little bit. So he's so the guy crashes through and he's on the ground, and everyone's just kind of staring, and then he dies. And then Worf does the scream. And while I was looking at that scene, I was like, um, Worf just shot somebody. Nobody wants to call Crusher in. No one wants to be like, sick bay, medical emergency. This dude just got shot by a phaser. Nope, we're just going to sit here and wait till he takes his last breath. <laughs> and that's then let true. Worf scream. I was like, uh. And I, and like, <laughs> that's how he wanted to die, right? But like, I felt like everybody else kind of had a duty to, um, inform sick bay i bet that i bet that klingon is still lying there in main engineering covered in glass <laughs> and they're just going about their business <laughs> yeah nobody thought twice about it <laughs> but whatever people, i get it for the episode over they're just stepping over him in the glass <laughs> in their stance going about their business and oh my gosh in my notes i wrote so many scants <laughs> This was like the scant episode. It was like the last hurrah of the scants. Are like, well, we're probably going to get rid of all this for season two. So well, let's, let's freaking hope so. Shit out of it. I think that you do see scants in like background players in season two and three. Uh-huh. Like you might see, like you're on a star base and see somebody like way in the distance, like walking across the mm-hmm. hallway. Like you might see that because think about it. The costume department was like, well, we're not going to make all new costumes right, for right. everybody. And we've got seventy five scants back here. Yeah, so we might as just throw one on somebody and have them walk like through a garden like half a mile away who cares Mm -hmm. so whatever anyway so that's kind of where the episode leaves it and i'm happy to let it live i'm happy to let it lie there just like the dude in engineering (laughs) (laughs) happy to let it lie we're just gonna let this episode lie forever (laughs) once once we get off this call we're gonna do a little scream and let this episode go (laughs) to let the other past episodes know that this one's coming And we're going to call it a day. So stick with us next week when we talk about season one, episode 20, The Arsenal of Freedom. Thanks for hanging with us. And thank you, Cherise, for geeking out with me. Of course. Of course. Yeah. And guys, next week's episode, I'm so excited about because I really, really like the Arsenal of Freedom episode. So uh, I will, I really look forward to that conversation and we will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.
Thanks for geeking out with us. Be sure to join the crew at thetngpodcast.com to be the first to know when we do our live shows or host events exclusively for our members. We'll see you next time.